a friend of mine reminded me this is our 10th episode, so of course <gasps> I composed a bicentennial. No, I didn't. <laughs> you should have. What would that be? Like, what makes know. it? What's trumpets 10 as a number? Okay. Like a, a brass. Trumpets? Yeah, trumpets. Oh, yeah, 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 a brass I... kind of band sound, you know, like it's on a in a parade. Bicentennial. Let's go on everything parade. Also, n- just very much not what bicentennial <laughs> means. <laughs> All right. Uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll edit in a. Uh, a trumpet. I'll put a trumpet in there. Ba 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 ba. I'll add it in a little confetti sound or something like that, like a party popper. Adorable. So stupid. Gotta be good. podcast where we learn about anything and everything interesting. Today we are going to be covering a science topic, answering a question, and taking a dive into a miscellaneous topic. I am Ella, and today I'm covering the main science topic, which is the corrupted blood incident of 2005. Oh, I'm loosely aware of this. At first I was like, what? And then I I think I, I only know of this in, in passing. And so I'm so excited to learn about this deep in. Oh, it gets, the, the detail is, um, oh. is impeccable. Do you know about th- I feel like I might know what you're talking about, but I gen- also have no clue. So I'm very, very excited to learn what this is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is amazing. This is a good one. My name's Caroline. And today I'm going to be asking the question, why do some sneezes smell? Wait, what? <laughs> Do any sneezes smell? I've never smelled a sneeze. That's we're gonna talk about it today. Buckle up, it's gonna be a good one. Tom's literally frozen. I'm at a loss. Okay. Just there's there's so much processing happening in like both of their faces right now. That there's nothing better than a question that that just like halts the brain. Yeah. <laughs> like, but wait, but what? But if? What? But who? What? But who? Who's experiencing this? <laughs> Uh, my name's Tom, and today's miscellaneous topic is uh, one of my favorite things, and that is game jams uh, and the lessons from them that I've learned uh, and why I think they're so wonderful. Ooh. Do you know what they are? Uh, no. I'm intrigued. <laughs> All right. We'll get into it. And also, I uh, don't know how to the, the, uh, speak. You know what's the, the real game jam? Is, game jam in our hearts. You know, it's a, you know what's you know what's a jam is the Patreon. Oh, <laughs> fucking hell! Oh God, that was uh, bad. Hold on. <laughs> Do you know what sneeze does? No. Okay. Hold oh on. Oh my. Okay. No. Do you know no. Um. There's no. What you know. Isn't a corrupted blood event. You know what hasn't had a corrupted blood event is our Patreon. <laughs> oh my god. But if god. you join, maybe we'll do one. Maybe. <laughs> stretch goal. Um. <laughs> You can hop on for as little as a dollar, and there's our test episodes, there's extra content, and we're going to record our first ETC episode, our bonus show, which uh, the folks have voted on, and will be a little uh, Let's Learn Everything Nights sleepover episode, (laughs) which will hopefully be delightful. And if you're already a patron, thank you very much. Yes, truly. Our hosting fees are getting larger and larger as more and more people <laughs> listen to the podcast. Turns out, it turns out. <laughs> we really, we really appreciate it because you are genuinely helping us run the podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much. Today's main science topic is the corrupted blood incident, as it is called. 
it sounds like you guys might have an idea of what this is. Can I? Do you know to what this is referring? So I believe that the corrupted blood incident happened not in the country of the United States or of the United Kingdom, but of a far-off land called Azeroth. Am I correct? Is uh, is that the world? Is that what the world's called? I believe so. I actually didn't know that. <laughs> I haven't learned a lot about World of Warcraft <laughs> for this. <laughs> oh, I have. Oh, <laughs> Caroline's face. I was just <laughs> clicking. What? Okay. Uh, is this? Okay. Is okay. Is this the thing <laughs> where they made a World of Warcraft disease and it got incredibly out of hand within the game? That is precisely it. That is precisely it. <sighs> oh, I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> but it, it, it's, it gets deeper than that. And a huge thank you to Snowspring9 on our Discord server who posted the article that got me interested in this topic. Thank you. Amazing. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. So, so it's in 2005, the online multiplayer game World of Warcraft had an accidental epidemic, which is now referred to as the Corrupted Blood Incident. <laughs> and what is wonderful about this is that actual epidemiologists have used this incident as a case study of modelling real-life disease outbreak. Amazing. It's ridiculous and I love it. So first, I'll just explain to you what the incident itself was, mm -hmm. and then we'll get a bit more into it. So it's 2005. The developers of World of Warcraft have just introduced a new mission. Um, <laughs> and the area is called Zulgarub, and its end boss is the giant winged serpent, Hakar the Soul Flayer. Great names. That, that is such an extra joy in all this. It's just all the names are amazing. Yeah. <laughs> So when you get to the end of this mission, you battle Hakkar, mm -hmm. and when players attacked Hakkar, it would cast a temporary debuff on them called Corrupted Blood. Mm -hmm. So this debuff, it, it kills lower level players pretty fast, but higher level players can withstand it for a short time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, it's, and it's temporary as well, the debuff. It was just supposed to make the battle more difficult, and it is highly contagious to any players in close proximity. Wild. But... It was only supposed to function within that specific region that Hakkar was found. So um, a class of character called Hunters in World of Warcraft can have pets. And due to a programming oversight... No! <laughs> no! Are you... Okay, are you, are you going to tell me... Are you about to tell me, Ella, that this video game disease transferred from humans to animals yeah. back to humans? Are yeah. you actually kidding me? Isn't that amazing? Wow. So... Due to a programming oversight, when pets were dismissed by the, their players, they kept the Corrupted Blood debuff on them. Okay. So when the pets were recalled by the hunters outside of the area that Hakkar was in, right, right. they would give the debuff back to the, the character Oh my god! and any other players nearby. So it's kind of like rats in the bubonic plague, mm -hmm. you know? It's interspecies transmission from animals to humans that spread the disease to players who are outside of the allotted area. There's also sort of like a, a parallel to like um, flying with an animal on an international flight or something, right? Because you bring it from, from this contained area to a new area via this pet that yes. you keep on mm -hmm. your person. Oh my gosh. And travel is a big part of how this spread, and we'll, we'll get into that. But the, another interesting thing is that NPCs could also be infected with corrupted blood. No! Yeah. What? <laughs> and they could spread it to other players, but 
it didn't kill the NPCs. So it oh my god! Oh, so they were carriers essentially. They're asymptomatic carriers. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I also it's it can I I, I feel like um it, it it speaks to the world we live in that these are all words we all know. Um but that is so so interesting. And of course, because it doesn't kill everyone immediately, higher level players could carry it to other areas and spread it even further. Wow. So basically corrupted blood spreads through the virtual world oh. very, very fast. It kills a lot of players. So a 2007 paper in The Lancet, Infectious Diseases, by two epidemiologists, Eric Lofgren and Nina Pfefferman, estimated the reproduction rate of corrupted blood to be 100 people per hour, meaning one person can wow. infect 100 other people per hour. Wow. So yeah, an insanely high repro uh, reproduction rate. Of course, this obviously had changed the way that the players were playing the game because it, they had to by necessity or they would die. So players abandoned densely populated areas like cities, oh which were described as being littered with the skeletons of dead players. Oh my God. Yeah. How do wow. you, how do you figure this out? What do you try to do? Do you? <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, a quote from the Washington Post. The world chat would explode any time a city fell, <gasps> says Nadia Heller, an ex-World of Warcraft player whose character lived through the incident. We kept a close eye not only on our guild chat, but on world chat as well to see where not to go. We didn't want to catch it. <laughs> That's so... Ah, <laughs> That's so weird. Terrifying. Uh-huh. So yeah, I mean, although, you know, bodies littering the streets is a bit much, <laughs> people leaving densely populated areas is very true to real life epidemics. Yeah. No, but it, it does basic it breaks the game basically. Like you can't you can't no longer play it. Also, like you you paid a subscription to play World of Warcraft with your friends and and this stops the game basically, yeah. which is a it's it is a real consequence. Yeah, and it's and it's reflective of, you know, things something that might happen in real life, people leaving. Mm -hmm dense or not going to densely yeah, populated yeah, yeah. areas. And and there were other things in the game that reflected real life too. So for example, you had players with healing abilities, they volunteered to help oh, people. Stop. But no. they often ended up dying themselves <laughs> because they were oh, getting affected so God. much. Oh my heart. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> very heart. sweet. But you have issues as well. Many of the powerful players who didn't really feel the effect of corrupted blood just continued as normal spreading it more stop it are you oh the, the parallels are so <laughs> this, are hurts. so... this hurts uh, what does it matter about level one players i'm just a level 70 it's fine for me yeah, it's no right? big deal <laughs> i'll just travel it's fine imagine joining at this point it would have been awful oh my god it gets better so the game developer blizzard they <laughs> this is amazing they attempted to impose quarantine on players <gasps> that had corrupted blood but it was wow. unsuccessful because people didn't take it seriously. Oh, uh, oh I, no. I, <laughs> this was, what, what year was this? 2000, 2005, you said? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> so, oh. I mean, eventually Blizzard just had to do like oh. hard resets of the servers and then, and they made pets uninfectable, um, which is unfortunately not something we can do in real life. <laughs> I think the CDC tried that for a little <laughs> while. Just tried to make pets uninfectable. So, oh, that's the incident itself. And now we're going to get into the research and the epidemiology 
kind of interest in it. I, I just want to say, I, I'm so excited. I, I just want to say, first of all, I, rem I think I remember, like, loosely hearing the story from, like, internet places in, like, the 2010s, maybe, or something mm. as, like, a thing. I have not heard it since then. And boy, boy, does it hit different this time. Yeah. <laughs> it's a real, oh, yeah. like, and I was really hoping for, I was so curious what the end thing would be. And, uh... I was really hoping there would be a little parallel we could do there and not have it not be the, the, the world reset and change the code of the game. Although maybe like vaccines are like a way to change genetic. You know what? Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but please go on. I, I'm, I'm, I'm so curious how, what, what folks, how folks have analyzed this. Yeah. So, I mean, in 2007, epidemiologist Ran Balliser published an article in Epidemiology about the incident called Modeling Infectious Disease dissemination through online role-playing games and he compares the corrupted blood incident to the real-life SARS outbreak which had happened mm. primarily in China about five years earlier particularly he talks about the ability for people in game to teleport out of quarantined locations and spread corrupted blood um, which is compared to the spread of SARS through like global air travel that might seem like a very obvious point to us now, you know, given that COVID is a thing. But SARS was one of the first serious infectious diseases to spread yeah. quickly through global air travel. Mm. I will also say I'm, I'm amazed within two years, folks outside of the gaming world were taking it very seriously. Because I, yeah. I think people tend to forget that, like, these are real human users and there's a ton of them. And that is a worthwhile data set and mm -hmm. and so yeah well well that's exactly the point so so balasan makes the point that as well as having like aspects like asymptomatic carriers and animal spreaders which is really interesting unlike yeah. other disease models this did not assume human behavior it had human behavior oh yeah it was human behavior yeah oh so something that is this is something that is very difficult to do in disease modeling because as we know humans are irrational and unpredictable <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah there's also this really interesting aspect that players have an emotional investment in the game which means they're more likely yeah. to ask, act as if their behavior has repercussions Oh, that's true. Wow. Yeah. So this is a wow. quote from that 2007 Lancet paper. Wow. Um, Sherry Tuckle has said, it's not that it's not part of your real life just because it's happening on the screen. It becomes integrated yeah. into really what you do every day. And so where you have loss of that part of your life that was involved in the habits and the rituals and the daily life, it's very traumatic. Wow. It's play, but it's wow. very serious play. Wow. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, you have these aspects, the human behavior, the investment in the game. And as a result of these things, uh, Eric Lofgren and Rand Balasar and other researchers, they start to suggest that the use of online platforms like this could be used to study the spread of infectious diseases. And um, for example, they put forward like the idea of Second Life, which is that um, it is an mm -hmm. online multiplayer game where you just kind of like role play as a person. <laughs> it's, <Yeah>. it's, <laughs> it's maybe could be slightly more accurate because it's... Um, non-battle situations oh that is interesting yeah the center for disease control and prevention contacted blizzard entertainment and requested statistics on the event for research on wow. epidemics oh, but wow. um, blizzard said it was a glitch and didn't give them anything <laughs> great <laughs> um, and this is i'm just throwing this in here as a this is not science related but it was really interesting so charles blair who was the deputy director of the center of terrorism intelligence studies at the time said that this would have been a really interesting way like world of warcraft would have been a really interesting powerful way to study how terrorist cells form and operate 
Oh my goodness! Um, there was a, there was criticism of that, but he did I he did make some interesting points, which I'm not going to get into because it's way off topic. <laughs> it's not an A to B comparison. That's not an apples to oranges. No, no, not at all. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, now, of course, there are, are several big limitations to drawing real life parallels from corrupted the corrupted mm-hmm. blood mm-hmm. incident or um, other kind of multiplayer games like this. For example, the mm-hmm. fast travel and teleporting aspect of it. Yeah. Obviously, it does simulate... <laughs> we glo- haven't unlocked that in the real world yeah. yet. <laughs> I mean, it simulates global air travel to an extent, but players obviously can mm. generally move around much, much more than people yeah. do in real life. Um, the really big one is that death is temporary. So... Yeah. <laughs> ah, yes. Bad thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, risk-taking is much greater, like, much, much greater yeah. in these kind of games. Right, 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 um, right, right, right. The reproduction rate was much larger than anything you'd see in real life. And we also have more nuanced limitations that, like, players in the game knew that this was a real thing that would kill their character um, and that can affect them in a bad way. And it, they, you know, couldn't necessarily, they didn't necessarily decide that it's a government conspiracy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like a Blizzard cons- made conspiracy to keep them, uh, you know, away from certain parts of the game. They didn't decide the disease wasn't real. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, it's true that my phone's 5G signal has been very good since getting the booster vaccine. <laughs> Listen, Fauci, if it's real, release the patch notes. Show us the devlogs. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is, oh God, it's so interesting. Um, but ultimately, <laughs> researchers argued that you could can, you can control certain parameters in the mm. game if you wanted to, to model d- disease transmission more realistically. And of course, like any disease model, you take the, the results with a level of caution anyway, right? Yeah. <laughs> but one of the very valid criticisms at the time that the corrupted blood incident wasn't realistic was that in the game people would often try and spread it to other players deliberately okay yes and in the yeah. 2000s when our understanding of modern epidemics were things like SARS uh, which was very well controlled by very strict regulations from a very strong mm. for better or worse Chinese government in a collectivist mm-hmm. society it makes sense that mm-hmm. you would see that deliberate spreading aspect as unrealistic yeah except (laughs) with the hindsight of a two-year global pandemic Mm -hmm. we know that's not quite true (laughs) (laughs) sadly yes (laughs) yeah so i mean i'm not talking about like more serious offenses of people like spitting in each other's faces which has been reported over the pandemic or even the more sympathetic Mm -hmm. offense of having to go to work because of economic circumstances yeah of course i'm talking about people just not taking things seriously. Yeah. Deliberately yeah. ignoring rules like mask wearing or having large gatherings. Right. In an interview for Wired, Dr. Eric Lofgren makes the point that although someone might not have had the intent to spread COVID, willfully ignoring the risk of spreading it is parallel to spreading it intentionally. Yeah. 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 So that particular... Um, that particular criticism. Criticism actually... I mean, those are our, those are our pros and cons of the of using the corrupted blood incident or just games in general as models for disease spreading. But did anything ever come of this? Well, kinda, yeah. <laughs> so, in 2013, Frederick Chen published the paper "Behavioral Responses to Epidemics in an Online Experiment Using Virtual Diseases to, to Study Human Behavior." So in it, he outlines the results of a 45-day simple multiplayer online game that simulates the spread of an infectious disease through a population composed of the players. Players got points for staying healthy. They lost points if they got sick. Um, when the study ended, 
they were rewarded with cash based on how many points they had. Mm. But to offset this idea of just, you know, protecting yourself constantly, it cost points to do certain types of protection. So, for example, it cost Mm -hmm. less points to get vaccinated than it did to completely self-isolate, for example. Mm -hmm. So you had to weigh up the risk of, you know... Right, right. Losing points or... And you also have to, like... um... Oh, game theory with other people's risks, right? Exactly. Yeah. So if they're if if you go out and you don't protect yourself in any way because you're assuming everyone else is vaccinated or self-isolating, but they're not because they're assuming the same, mm-hmm. then right. you're gonna lose you're gonna get infected and lose points. And the, and the, this probably seems obvious to us now as we like run out to get vaccinated so we can return to normal, but we we hadn't done anything. We n- nothing like this had happened at the time, right? Like COVID. Yeah. yeah. And and I think about how when vaccines were difficult to obtain at the start of 2021 many people just you know didn't get it they all they yeah. like when they couldn't get it they they just took the risk they didn't isolate and they went out anyway right so <laughs> the conclusions of this study can seem really simple to us now because we've we've been through it but it really predicted very well self protective behavior during covid and which is very very interesting oh, wow so yeah. Yeah. For example, people often chose not to protect themselves until they had been infected for the first time and had seen what would happen. Oh, wow. wow. That's interesting. Wow. So afterwards, they tended to be a lot more cautious. Uh-huh. Um, and this is from the abstract of the paper. People's willingness to engage in safe behaviour waxes and wanes over time, depending on the severity of the epidemic. When prevalence mm-hmm. is high, people are more likely to adopt wow. self-protective measure as time goes by. When prevalence is low, a self-protection fatigue effect sets in whereby individuals are less willing to engage in self-behaviour over time. Interesting. Self-protection fatigue, people caring less as time goes on, is certainly something we can understand now. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Did they also have like a simulated Twitter in there? (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. Um, This this is the most interesting part of this paper for me. So in a wide interview, Chen says, one thing that, very starkly stood out is that the disease in my game didn't have to be a problem. Everybody collectively could have eradicated the disease if they'd acted safely enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Uh-huh. Program that into the game. It, the disease could have just died out and then they could have spent the entire rest of the, the simulation, uh, you know, earning points. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Wow. <laughs> Oh no. I would be I I think that would be such an interesting experiment to like then combine like sort of uh combine with the the like Milgram experiments to see like whether like the experiments or authority is trusted, right? Or like maybe oh, the yeah. if like the experimenter uh, yeah. like says something but then like is like slightly incorrect and then makes a correction like does that speak to whether like authority figures can be can never make a mistake and should be very careful or are they allowed to like keep updated i think yeah. I will, and you know obviously now we have now we know sort of the more problems and so we know more things that need to be investigated mm-hmm. like i feel like, like i joked about twitter but like in in i think a model could be improved by thinking about like how these people communicate to each yeah, other like versus right, absolutely. yeah um and and yeah and like trusted figures like the actual experimenter or people who are like assigned I, I think I think now knowing now we know more problems, so hopefully we can even ask more questions for the future. Yeah, that's true. Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. Um, so just back to this game. Yes. <laughs> so in the end, 
people performed so much worse than Chen expected. He pay- oh my god! That he ended up paying out so much less than he thought he would. They ended up giving. <laughs> he ended up giving some of the grant money back in the end. Wow! Um, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, I, like I very much doubt a normal simulation of disease outbreak could have predicted that <laughs> level of. That's appalling. <laughs> So, the reason these things have, like, come back to light, the Corrupted Blood incident and the, uh, the Chen paper is, is because of the current, um, pandemic, right? And Mm -hmm. so we get, we, I was getting all these really great quotes from all these researchers and this one from, um, Eric Lofgren summarizes that Chen's experiment quite well. Mm -hmm. And this is from PC Gamer. When people react to public health emergencies, those reactions really shape the course of things. We often view epidemics as these things that sort of happen to people. There's a virus and it's doing things, but really it's a virus that's spreading between people and mm, how people interact mm. and behave and comply with authority figures or don't. Mm-hmm. Those are all very important things. And also that these things are very chaotic. You can't really predict, mm. oh yeah, everyone will quarantine. It will be fine. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. they won't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is wow. so interesting. That is so interesting. You know, epidemiology being both a very deeply medical science, but also a deeply sociological, mm-hmm. and then even even more than sociological, like like uh, political and like governmental yeah. thing. Well, in the t- in the twenty first century, it, epidemiology is is more a psychology than it ever has been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So actually, when I was reading about all of this, I learned the uh, the economic term externalities. Have you heard of this? Oh yeah, yeah. So a side effect or consequence of an industrial or commercial activity that affects other parties, but not the person carrying out the activity. Oh, interesting. Okay. And it applied in Chen's game to people not self-protecting. It Uh applied in World of Warcraft when higher level players continued as normal because corrupted blood didn't affect them. And it's happening now in our real fleshy world where people people who are less susceptible to the risks the complications of covid are just taking greater risks right Mm. yeah yeah but you know i don't want to leave this on like such a down note (laughs) because uh, even though it seems unlikely if you know me as a person i do actually think that people most people are okay (laughs) yeah As much as we joke, as much as you laughed when, didn't you say something about like humans being unreliable and we all like deeply laughed? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, much as, as much as that is the case, yeah. Um, erratic and unpredictable. It doesn't necessarily That's make them was. bad, but... <laughs> right, right, right. So during the corrupted blood pandemic in World of Warcraft, many people in the community did comply by quarantine rules. Um you know, and as I said, people with healing abilities chose to help others with no real benefit to themselves. That's amazing. You also had players who, like, they couldn't enter cities because they were too low level, but instead they, like, helped other players leave the cities. They, like, guided them to safe areas. Oh! oh that was so lovely! <laughs> um, there was, like, there was help with resources between players, that kind of thing. It was just lots of, like, little human things. And we oh see God. these little human things now, despite very real risks, you know, people supporting each other. Aww. Restoring our faith in humanity just yeah. a little bit. <laughs> um, and I just want to end this section by saying, I really do hope that now in the wake of this pandemic, where we see how good these simulations have been, that more <laughs> epidemiologists will consider the idea of 
epidemic simulations with real players again. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. only humans can simulate the erratic and irrational behaviour of humans, good and bad. Oh, gosh. What a lovely note to end that on. That great. <laughs> Thank you so much for that. This episode, the question is going to be, why do sneezes sometimes smell? So judging from both of your reactions, you didn't know that sneezes could smell? Is this a new thing to you guys? <laughs> I think maybe when I've been like really ill, uh huh, that's... I thought that my, my sneeze smelt, maybe, yeah. but I sneeze a lot and I can categorically say I never think about it smelling. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you ask this in the Discord yeah. briefly. Uh-huh. This topic was sprung on me by somebody that I live with who very casually mentioned that um, a member of his family's sneezes smelled. And he said it like it was the most wait, normal wait. thing on other the planet. Oh, other people, other people yes. sneezes. Gross. Yeah. What? I thought you meant. I think meant your own sneezes. I mean, yeah. it applies to your own sneezes too. But like, if you're close enough to I... somebody that you maybe they sneeze in close vicinity to Again, you. Again, this yeah. is this is such a warm. Like, I'm like, <laughs> as in like, do do my sneezes sometimes smell? Is it like a categorical thing oh, where some yeah, people smell worried. their sneezes? Yeah. <laughs> I, I will so much. <laughs> I'm so happy that this is the reaction that's come out of YouTube because it's exactly the same as what happened with me. I was just so upset that like sneezes smell what? Like it was so wild to me that I had to put it in the Discord server. Um, if anybody wants to access that, it's let's learn everything You can find the link there. Plug, 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 um, plug, plug. But yeah, and other people in the server were like, uh huh, uh huh, and some people were like, no. But it, it's a thing. I love that uh, you've you're doing you're doing research in the in our Discord server. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we conduct experiments sometimes. Yeah. Did you guys not know this? <laughs> I'm. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, so I'll just let this sit, uh, sit for a second. So, sneezes can smell of a few different things. But first off, just a small disclaimer, I did write this down. I'm going to talk about some more serious medical conditions today that can cause your sneezes to smell. Um, I'm studying biodiversity conservation. I do not know about medical things. Um, this podcast... Don't, don't, please do not get your medical advice from this podcast. No, that's exactly <laughs> what I'm going to say. This podcast does not provide med- medical advice. If you have any concerns about your health, please contact your doctor or general practitioner. Um, <laughs> or Blizzard yeah. Entertainment. Yes. <laughs> but also, generally, if you have a bad smelling sneeze and no other symptoms, you're probably fine. So we'll just, yeah. just put that out there. So are we... Do we now get to guess what sneezes, bad sneezes smell? So that's my exact question. What do you think? What scents can sneezes have? Okay, so I'm I'm going to come at this from like the approach of why things smell, mm-hmm. which is bacteria. Yes. Okay. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Like, can I take a dumber guess before you take an educated uh, guess? No, I apologize because <laughs> I'm so like in my mind I was thinking like I know blood has like an irony sort of smell and so that's okay. sort of like a... oh, i don't think that's a dumb no that's oh, thank pretty... you yeah <laughs> um if i eat an apple it'll smell like an apple <laughs> that's, that's the... <laughs> uh, although maybe i mean oh to be fair you know if you like maybe diet 
It's all the same. It's all the same pipes. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. If you throw up or you like oh, yeah, snort yeah. milk or whatever, it'll like, you know, things yeah. from your esophagus can go through your nose. Yeah, so, totally. Yeah. But that also the reason that that smell is there. If if food smells, it's because of bacteria, right? So um, that's a great. Oh, there you go. Yeah. So maybe so. Uh, yeah, I would say maybe it smells of your food or the bacteria on your food. Bacteria is a great shout. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh. Okay. So is it like sweat? So you know how some people, the a very oh. few, rare lucky people, uh-huh. um, their sweat doesn't smell because the reason sweat smells is because it attracts bacteria, not because the, it it smells on its own. Yeah. Whoa. I mean, yeah, we all. <laughs> I, I obviously, obviously, I knew that. That's amazing. And I know this because my sweat doesn't smell, and I'm literally gifted from the gods with. Oh, one of you. those people. Buried the lead. Wow. <laughs> no. Um. Is it like some people have special um, snot bacteria that makes it smell? That's my guess. So my my guess was also, I was just curious if this is related at all to sort of like acclimation of smells, like in the same way that like you don't know what your room smells like until like you, if you ever like go to go on a vacation and then come back and then you, you become unacclimated. So I'm, because like smelling the inside of your nose feels very... <laughs> It's like, it's like, what does water taste like kind yeah. of a thing? Yeah. Or it's like... <laughs> That's a good point. So sneezes can have... Uh, commonly you see online four pretty distinct smells. <laughs> and those four smells mean different things. Earth, air, water, fire. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go on, go on. Um, so the general descriptor of foul is a pretty common one. <laughs> To show Ooh. up. Yes. Yeah, I know. Medically foul. Do you know, is that when people are ill, do you think? Because I, I think that the yeah. only time I've ever thought this smells was when I was really sick. And my, you know, when you're mm-hmm. like, there's a specific colour to it. In that case, you're like mucus. Sorry, this is quite <laughs> grotesque. It's going to go down that line. It really is. Um, When I say foul, <laughs> the person who I live with who brought this up gave the descriptor of... You know how you know damp smells horrible? It smells like yeah. that. It's that kind of Ugh. nasty. Um, so according <laughs> smells to... Smells are so fascinating. Sorry. <laughs> smells are weird. And we'll, we're going down a bit of a rabbit hole today. So yeah. according to Dr. Raheen Raythartha, I hope I've pronounced that correctly, who's an ENT, so ear, nose and throat specialist in New York, according mm. to her, bacterial sinus infections is a really common cause of smelly sneezes. Mm, mm, I feel mm. like I was pretty close to that. You were bang on because things bacteria is a huge cause for it. Strep, staphylococcus, two really, really mm. common ones that can cause you to sm- have a smelly sneeze. Um, and the, what happens here basically is that the you've got blocked nose, you've got a sinus infection, the bacteria is growing in there. Oh, yeah. And okay. when you sneeze... You're pushing all of that out to start off with, and you're passing air over the top of that smelly bacteria. You're pushing it out into the world, and your sneeze smells. Oh, okay. That makes sense. Yeah. That makes sense. As someone who's who's smelt bacteria just like that's infected, like just human cells. Oh, wow. Reeks. Absolutely reeks. You know, like, oh my gosh! I'm, I'm sorry. The same makes it sound like I'm infected with bacteria. <laughs> no, 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 you you do lab work, right? That is yeah. related to. I do lab work. I, it, like cell cultures get uh, bacterial contaminations on occasion, and mm-hmm. it's very distinct. Yeah. Wow. It, it smells. 
Um, and then you gotta wonder, is that an evolutionary thing that that we find those smells so? so I will oh. talk a little bit about one bacteria specifically that has evolved to have a certain type of smell in a moment, because it is really, really cool. Wow, okay. It's not the only cause of a foul-smelling sneeze, and actually it's a little bit debated if it's, like, the main cause of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tonsillitis is another possible one. Tonsillitis can give you bad breath, and then you sneeze that bad, bad breath smell out into the world again. Um, tonsil stones is another really common cause of having a smelly sneeze. Never heard of tonsil stones. I assume that's the same as kidney stones, like a calc- was it a calcified? Yeah, yeah, that grow like on your tonsils essentially, and they do smell. They have bacteria. They are not very pleasant. Yeah. And then dental infections is another one that can mm. cause your sneeze oh, smell. Yeah. Yeah. All that. All that ear nose thread stuff. All of the grossness. In children, it could indicate that a foreign body has ended up in their nasal cavity. So basically, a lot of not-so-serious things can cause your sneezes Mm. to smell foul. It's not something that you need to be especially worried about. Um, There is a rarer, possibly more interesting explanation as well. And this is especially when you're, like, talking about your own sneezes. It could be something called... I'm going to try and pronounce this correctly. Phantosmia? Phantosmia? And can either of you two guess what that is? Or do either of you two know what that is? How's it spelled? P-H-A-N-T-O-S-M-I-A. Well, (laughs) all I can think about is what we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, like aphantasia and like, and and synesthesia. Honestly, you're on a really like, good sort of vein. It is smell hallucinations. Oh, oh phantasmia. Yeah. Wow. So smelling smells. My guess was going to be forgetting smells. Yeah, that's <laughs> like what I mean. It's all a really similar sort of vein, I guess. Yeah. Um, wait, wait, I'm sorry. I just processed what you were saying to me. Hallucinating yeah. smells. Fa- Hallucinating smells can be a cause of you. I feel like this is like quite common. I feel, I feel like I hear this like in... So, for example, like if you have what is it, a stroke, you like oh yeah, right. hallucinate the smell of wow. toast or burning toast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Things like again, inflamed sinuses can cause you to have this. Brain tumors, Parkinson's disease can cause you to have this. Respiratory infections wow. can. Wow. Including things like COVID nineteen can cause you to develop this yeah. as well. Oh. So it can be triggered by a lot of things, and actually, it's becoming. This a bit is more this is common. the get your vaccine yeah. episode, also. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I yeah, guess that's really what we're saying. For it this <laughs> yeah. time. It, it just in case anyone was worried that we would take an apolitical stance on COVID and vaccination. <laughs> oh no, 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 definitely not. <laughs> get vaccinated or stop listening to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> unless you can't. Yes, unless you're exempt, <laughs> you're good. Um, but yeah, so if your sneeze smells foul, it can be caused from everything. From tonsil stones and sinus infections to a brain tumor. So that's Oh god, I've got a brain fun. tumor. <laughs> that's what you're saying, right? Definitely, yes. Totally diagnosing every you right person now. listening to this. <laughs> I smell something weird. I'm going to die. So it's not the only smell that your sneezes can have. Uh, sour is another one that's often oh. comes up. Um, it, de- it depends on where in the nose the sneeze comes out, like the taste buds of the nose, sour, bitter, like. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a second to realize you were joking. That was a joke. That was a Tom joke. 
Thank you. <laughs> I really, I really like channel you sometimes, and I feel great about it. <laughs> my my eyes just roll back in my head, and then Ella makes a bad joke, yeah. and then I wake up again. <laughs> um, your sneezes can smell sour, often caused by bad breath. Um, it can be a sign of gum disease, but you, you might just have bad breath, and that's okay. I guess it makes sense. It's all, I, it, yeah. This is about like the all of the as Tom said all the tubes are connected right all the tubes are connected if one of them smells of one thing your sneezes are probably going to smell of it too yeah the issue is the cause is that your sneeze is just spreading it way further out there more people are a a victim Mm. of it Um, but I want to talk about some of the weirder smells now so why do you think sneezes can smell sweet Uh... when you're in love <laughs> Decomposition. Decomposition. Okay, that's wrong, but that I swear, <laughs> I swear there, was a, there was a reason I said that. Because there's a chemical in decomposing bodies that's also it's it's basically it's also in the lab. We have a version of it in the lab. It's called beta macapta ethanol. Whoa. Um, and this and other forms of this are in different like in decomposing bodies. They're they're what makes um. Is it Venus smell really? It's like the sulfur smell, but oh, it's um, yeah. but it has like a sweetness to it in like certain forms, and sometimes dead, like bodies can smell sweet because of it, or it might be another chemical. But I'm pretty sure it's um, no, where yeah. I take back the the shocked sound in my voice because that does make <laughs> a lot of sense. That's not what I found, but if that is another possible reason, I'm not going to say it's not. I'm just thinking about like bread. Bread smells sweet sometimes. I'm trying to think what a. I'm questioning all my all my <laughs> sense now. Yeah, carbohydrate carbohydrates. Yeah, or or yeast fermentation something maybe. I'll do the slightly weirder one first, which is once again bacteria. Okay. And it's again sinus infections sort of root. It's one of the bacteria that can cause Staphylococcus. There's a 2017 paper about this, where a group of scientists found that the bacteria produces two sweet amino acids or amino acids that trigger sweet receptors in our noses mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the fact that that bacteria produces these amino acids uh, and triggers these um sweet receptors actually dampens the immune response against them oh. more so than bacteria that causes that foul smell sneaky so one of the reasons is because you might have this strain of bacteria which is dampening your immune system <laughs> Not by a lot, but by enough to just be able to live in your nostrils for a little bit longer. So theoretically, evolved to smell nicely. Yeah. So that it would bypass our senses. Bypass some of your immune system. Gosh, I love the evolution of things acquiring smells because some of them like, you know, until you know the reason, it seems like so counterintuitive, like, you know, um, durian. Oh yeah. Obviously, smells like like feces because it's pollinated by flies. Yes, I, I love this. I love this so much. It's such a like it's such a weird thing. And like mushrooms and stuff. Yeah, I yeah, can't. Yeah. I can't speak about durian in an objective manner because my my family loves it, and I truly. <laughs> um... I, I'll be honest. I, I cannot get over the smell. I, I, oh, it's mm-mm. so yeah. I have eaten it, but it's 
is too much for me. I always think it smells like a rotting corpse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> more than... Literally it's trying to a... attract flies to eat a rotting yeah. corpse. Yeah. Fascinating. But that's what's it's really, really interesting. No, yeah, that's mm-hmm. clever. But that's why it... Um, so, yeah, I d- I've never heard of the, I guess, that way round, like something smelling. Yeah. Although I get, well, there's like, you know, plants that smell nice so they can oh, eat I guess flies. Plants, yeah. See, I'm not sure if that's like the absolute mechanism of it. There is going to be a sure, paper sure, sure. linked in the notes, but it's that's kind of how it works. And I think it's really, really interesting. I thought you might appreciate learning a bit more about it. So the next one is something that Ella, you might be a little bit more familiar with. Because sometimes having a sweet smelling sneeze can be caused by some, caused <gasps> by sweet smelling ah! breath. Gluc- uh, diabetes. <laughs> yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what causes that, Ella? Ella, Ella is a is is a uh, diabetes researcher. <laughs> For context, Ella <laughs> probably knows this way more than I do. <laughs> it's, it's it's just glucose. It's ex- excess glucose that isn't being taken in, up into your cells because mm-hmm. you don't produce enough insulin. Oh. So bit back in the early days, well, diabetes was like a death sentence before they you know got insulin isolated. Mm-hmm. Um, and babies, children who would have it like that, they like sweat would even be sweet. Like everything. Yeah. Oh would be. man! So, so it, I, I never actually heard that like saliva and or like sneezes could be sweet as well. But that does make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It can also be caused by things like being on a keto diet. Mm. Can cause this sweet smelling breath. Fasting and heavy drinking as well can all cause this. It's sometimes referred to as acetone breath, which is a bit mm. a bit unpleasant. Uh, but yeah, so that's why your breath can sometimes be sweet smelling. So we've done foul, we've done sour, <laughs> we've done sweet. Can either of you take a stab in the dark at what the uh, what the last one is? Salty, floral, salty. Yeah, bitter. that's it. Oh, pepper. If you uh, think about like what umame? else, umame. <laughs> yeah, oh <my> God. <laughs> what else does the human body produce? Who? <laughs> you're not far off. Wait, you oh ammonia. Yeah. Ah, oh, nice. Well done. Yeah. Can you think about why it might have a have an ammonia sneeze? Kidney failure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn. Um, <laughs> I'm doing a PhD in biology. <laughs> you <love this. laughs> Can you tell? <laughs> so yeah, chronic kidney disease is a cause of ammonia breath and in turn ammonia sneezes. Basically, uh, when your kidneys when you've got kidney disease, your kidneys are less good at removing waste from your body, um, mm-hmm. including urine uh, and urea specifically. Um, which is the end product of the metabolic breakdown of proteins. Very vaguely, everybody. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, you know. <laughs> so, what, so, what are you are you saying that the sneezes smell like piss? Essentially. <laughs> Yeah. Thank you for thank you for making that crystal clear. Eloquently put. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know because I was wondering if, like, you know, if it was because of kidney failure, maybe it was like pre-breakdown materials that mm, don't smell exactly mm. like actual urine, but yeah. So it is. It's urea to start off with. That urea then tries to find another way to escape, and it can often be through your breath. Again, I don't know the specific mechanisms. There is a 2001 paper on ammonia in the breath, which will be in the podcast notes if you want to read a little bit more about that. Um, But essentially what happens is urea reacts with saliva 
in your mouth, oh. creating um, more ammoniary smell. And then again, when you sneeze, you're just spreading that out into the world. This is grim. Yeah, it's really gross, isn't it? <laughs> there are other causes as well, which again are much less scary than your kidneys failing. Heavy alcohol use, eating too much proteins, sure. um, dehydration, sinus infections and bacterial infections, once again, can also cause you to have ammonia breath. So basically, if your sneezes smell bad, don't assume you're dying. You're probably not dying. <laughs> my 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 takeaway from this has been that like a sneeze is a way of the inside of your body leaving your body. <laughs> and there's a lot of things that can happen inside of your body that are weird just because sometimes they can be weird for a bad reason, but sometimes they can be weird because of a simple mm -hmm. just for funsies, yeah. <laughs> body's complicated. And so talking about all of this reminds me once again this thing that I think about every now and then which is how are we functioning? <laughs> <laughs> this thing that keeps me up at night. How are how are humans just like up and around and working because so much can go wrong. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it just presents itself like the symptoms of things going wrong can be as little as a sweet smelling sneeze. Like what? Mad. Um so yeah, I do want to leave this on the note once again that if 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 you're worried about how your sneeze smells, you're dying. Have a, have you're a chat dying. with your doctor. You're right, no, you're right no. now you're dying. <laughs> yeah, have a chat. Have a chat with a professional. You're you're absolutely. You're probably fine. You're probably fine. And if you have no other symptoms as well, you're probably definitely fine. Uh, but yeah, but that's it. But if you're worried, go to your doctor. Go to your and, GP. Yeah, go yeah. to your doctor. Or, yeah, or join absolutely. our Discord server, and we'll give you no, free medical we'll, advice. We'll actually diagnose you. In the no. <laughs> Sneeze into this mic real quick, and we'll yeah. diagnose you. Yeah. Please don't do that. Sneeze into a little glass bottle. Send it to us, <laughs> and we'll decide what you're dying with. Ah, uh, lovely. Boy, howdy. <laughs> Thanks very much for listening. So interesting. You guys are smart. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you, Caroline. That was lovely. Lo lo lovely is a, a weird strong word. word. For, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I retract. It was that. interesting. It was Truly. very interesting. <laughs> All right. To to bring us out of infectious disease and uh, <laughs> strange smells, um, today's miscellaneous topic is going to be game jams. So, do do y'all know what a game jam is? No. Can I guess? Yeah. Is it like where you m make a game together in like a certain amount of time? Oh. Got it. Yeah. My brain went to like make game about dancing was where my brain <laughs> went. <laughs> I'm sure there's been like a jam game jam jam. There's been, there's, there are a lot. That's one thing we're going to learn is there are a lot of game jams, uh, which is delightful. But um, y'all, y'all know that I used to make little video games, right? I don't talk about it much. No. I feel like you've mentioned this in passing like one time to me and that information is stayed yeah. in my head. So, yeah. um, I might have said this before, but like the reason my username is Tom Lum Person <laughs> is because, yeah, is because when I joined Twitter, I wanted to be like Tom Lum Dev or like Tom Lum Games because that, that was the main reason I was joining Twitter at the time. Uh, but like at the last moment, I was like, in the future i'll do other things um but like i loved i loved the indie game scene and i still do i just want to stay on the point of like you are so like 
chronically like I can't commit to this thing what if this thing happens and it just keeps going throughout your life and I love it <laughs> can I ask y'all's uh familiarity with indie games um if someone has made a two hour long retrospective about the game on YouTube <laughs> then I will know it <laughs> otherwise no because I don't play indie I, don't, I, I very mm -hmm. I have a switch and I play some games on switch but I generally don't play games I'm probably even worse where if MatPat has made a video about it on game theory, then I might know about it. But apart from that, uh-uh. But it's, it's, you'll, you'll find, you'll, we'll, we'll get into is, is there's a surprising amount of indie games that you might have heard of. So um, for those who don't know, an indie game is a game that is made without the direction of like a big publisher like Activision or, or Blizzard uh, or Nintendo. To make, a, to make an analogy, it's like a podcast without a... <laughs> which is independently produced like our podcast you don't want our podcast to be independently produced anymore come and support us <laughs> give us money i dare you i dare you <laughs> we know you're listening ira glass i know you're up there out there listening so instead of something like halo or call of duty it's usually made by a smaller team uh, but they can be tiny games or they can be big games like stardew valley oh. uh undertale you know even minecraft was an independent game for a while oh that is interesting so game jams are one of my favorite parts of the indie game scene. I feel like they really symbolize all the things I love about it. So the concept of a game jam, like Ella said, is, is, is when written out is pretty straightforward. A bunch of game developers, designers, artists, writers, musicians get together into teams or, or solo by themselves and each make a video game uh, typically in 48 hours. Usually that's the time frame based on a theme that's revealed at the start of a jam. And in a way, it's sort of like turning game development into a game itself, which is fun. Yeah. Uh, it can be for a competition, uh, but for the most part, it's usually just for fun. You'll get a lot of folks who want to use this to like get out of a rut and, and try something new. Folks who are going to the jam to make their first game. Folks who want to meet collaborators and, and future teammates. Um, and then you, you also get like games writers who want to see like what the next big thing is. And also people who just want to play games that, that also happens, which is, is delightful. And having done a handful of them in my life, there is something that happens in them that is somehow more than the sum of its parts. You, you get something happens that's more than just people make games. But first let's get into the, the history of game jams because it is hilarious so obviously in a lot of ways game jams inherit from like a long history of artistic challenges right like national novel writing month or nanorimo ah. uh short sorry yeah. i tried to i tried to do nanorimo <gasps> so many times and i probably each time wrote about two thousand words <laughs> oh and then just bailed <laughs> oh I did not know this. Well, this, is, this is, that's a miscellaneous topic for another time. Is writing, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, short film competitions, any number of like artistic challenges in history, right? Like, like constraints in art go back as far as art. But because video games are such a recent art form, we have what is believed to be the email for the first recorded game jam from two thousand one. <gasps> it was sent by Chris Hecker, and the subject line is. Wacky invitation. <laughs> oh my goodness. He, he basically describes how he and some friends were messing around trying to make a game when they had the thought, just like the random thought, like how many individual characters, like little stick figures, can we render on the screen as possible? Like just like as a challenge. Keeping in mind that it's 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 2001, right? So, so they can do five. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and each one is so, each one is three pixels. <laughs> so they, they do make they do make them like little. I think they're literally like seven or eight pixels. Like they make oh, them little geez. stick figures, but they make a game engine that can render one hundred thousand of them. <gasps> and so then the email goes. <laughs> this is a quote from the email. <laughs> As soon as we saw that many dudes on screen, a ton of wacky game designs instantly popped into our heads. As we told, as we told other game designers slash programmer friends about it, they too had zillions of wacky game ideas. The concept for the zeroth annual indie game jam was born, and that's that's a programming joke, by the way, because um, counting with computers starts with zero, so instead of the first annual, it's the zeroth annual. We're all nerds. They're all nerds. You know what's a good joke when you explain the joke? (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was hilarious. That's all that matters, Tom. Comedy. So the email goes on. The hope is that people will be able to do incredibly strange, wacky, and most importantly, different games when the code base is already done and the core technology is slightly strange and new in the first place. And then it goes... To sum up, you are cordially invited to the zeroth annual indie game jam: colon one hundred thousand guys. Which I love that, like right off the bat, like the very first game jam already had the most ridiculous prompt. Right? It wasn't like discovery or like creativity. <laughs> it was one hundred thousand guys. I love it. That's great. So do they all have like prompts? They have to be. They're filling like specific criteria. Yeah, that's usually a, a part of the. We'll, we'll, we're going to list some of my favorite themes, but usually there's like a theme that's like a part of it is the theme is revealed like on the day so that you have to, to wow. come up with something then. Uh, sometimes they're based on specific technologies or like specific other constraints like that, but that's usually a big part of it. Mm. So I just love that from inception. Like, it was about making wacky things. It was ridiculous from the get-go, yeah. From from (laughs) first email. Uh, And so, then they say, Come design something weird and new in a fun, creative, and collaborative atmosphere. Who knows what people will come up with? Um, And I think that, that really just, like, says it all. So since then, there's been a lot of game jams. The longest running game jam is something called the Ludum Dare, which is Latin for to give a game. Um, It started in 2002. Um, you'll, You'll also hear people... Uh, at this point, it's almost like an accepted pronunciation. They'll call it the Ludum Dare because it feels like a dare, right? Like make a game in 48 <laughs> hours. And notably, it was the first entirely online game jam, which is amazing that in less than a year, it can go from an email that's like, come to my house to being something like anyone on the internet can join, right? It shows that it's not it's not about being a part of a club. It's about mm-hmm. like making, making new things. So. And shows you that gamers have been... 20 years ahead of this self-isolation thing. <laughs> They've been making stuff accessible for years now. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, the, the, some of these game jams like completely exploded in the past two years because folks now were like, hey, I guess I'll, I'll make something now. Oh, that's so good. <gasps> I love that. It's really, it's really sweet. So the Ludum Dare is run multiple times a year. And instead of a specific technology, like the 100,000 Guys engine, uh, they announced a theme for the game to be about. Um, so they've had themes like minimalism, and uh, there's one that was just the tower, oh. and we'll mention we'll mention some more in a second because they're they're delightful. But um, the Ludum Dare also has an element of competition where games get played and ranked by the community on things like use of theme, innovation, humor, fun, audio. Uh, but there's no there's no prize, there's no money, no trophy. Um, because it, it's again it's just about making making games. Nice. So the first Ludum Dare in 2002 had 18 submissions. Uh, then they hit. 123 games in 2009 
Then they hit a thousand in 2012, and then Ooh. in 2020, when folks <laughs> folks were like, "I'm I'm home. I guess I'll I'll try something." It peaked uh, with a jam having about five thousand games <gasps> created for it um, in that period of time. I just want to say that that little bit you just did there, so, w- word for word, sounded like me talking about the ASMR channels <laughs> on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's 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 that that is a great point. It, it's it's kind of wild to. Think about the growth of these things that have happened with the internet because we just we just we just live in the present now with them already being a thing, but yeah. they 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 do kind of grow like that. That's wild. That's a good point. Um, so the Nordic Game Jam is the largest still in person game jam, and it mm-hmm. takes place in, in Copenhagen every year. Um, <laughs> there's a game jam I love called the. And it's my dream to do this. Um, obviously, there's some issues with it now, but it's a it's a game jam called the Train Jam that takes place <gasps> over a 48 hour train from Chicago to San Francisco. Such wow. a good idea! Yeah, like having having done game development on trains and planes over the years, I I totally vibe with that. Like, there's something about trains that is so like meditative and also mm-hmm. like creative. I I truly want to do that one day. Um, and then the biggest game jam is something called the Global Game Jam. Uh, it happens every year, and instead of being entirely online or entirely in person, uh, they basically have like locations around the world where people get together and then Aww. get to play each other's games. In New York City, that means the NYU Game Center, and the Global Game Jam in January of 2020 had 9,601 games <gasps> submitted and 48,753 participants across 118 countries. Wow, that's crazy. Some quick maths. How how much uh, how many people on a team then normally? Let me let me do that math real quick. I think that might include like um facilitators, mm. um any any teachers, any sort of organizers. Uh let me do that math though. And do people just come along to play the games? in the end of the process yeah i don't know if they would count in that but like yeah. uh, it's about five it's about five so that i mean that that's a totally reasonable yeah. size team but um but yeah uh that's we'll get into that a little mm-hmm. bit but that's one of the good things about these these in-person ones is that then they'll advertise to just like students to be like hey do you want to play some games <laughs> afterwards and try these oh, that's so cool so i just wanted to list some of my favorite game jam themes um these are some ludum dare themes uh one of them is one room <laughs> another one is the more you have, the worse it is. <laughs> so, well, one room, I, I can immediately think of like a bunch of ideas for that. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? And isn't it amazing? It's so, it's such a like. The more you have, yeah. the worse it is. Yeah. That's, That's very funny. So That's funny. very good. <laughs> um, entire game on one screen. Ooh, that's interesting. Well, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly yeah uh and then another one is you only get one i think that's very evocative um and keep in mind also you can you can find the games for these jams online if you think any of these are interesting um i've genuinely see- seen some of the most like innovative concepts ever from some of these you'll find a lot of these on itch.io it's a wonderful site for indie games and game jams we'll have to play some of them in an etc at some point oh, oh what a good nice idea. idea you know what? Yeah. We, should, we should play mine my solutions. <gasps> oh, <laughs> yes. We'll do that. <laughs> do do do. Here are some global game jam themes. <laughs> this, this is a great one. We don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. Oh no, I don't like that. <laughs> That's too much. That's too much. Too much. Dumb. <laughs> um, this one. 
this one's this one's another one from Global Game Jam. They go, what do we do now? <gasps> Ooh. Oh, you know I what? I can, like I can that see that one. as being a good yeah. prompt. You know, and it's funny, each prompt you're giving, I'm thinking of games that I could... To be fair, we don't see things as they are. We see them as we are. You know that game where you <laughs> where you... Like have to hide as an object. Oh, prop hunt! Yeah, prop hunt. yeah. I was like, that fits that like criteria. Uh-huh. <laughs> Amazing. Um, would it be too much to ask you two to come up with an idea right now on the spot? <laughs> oh, um... for, for what? For which prompt? No, no. For for a come up with like, a prompt. as a prompt. Oh, a prompt. Oh, okay. I was like, uh, you want me to develop a game right now? <laughs> <laughs> um, a prompt would be. Oh God. My brain just goes to there are too many days. Too many days. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Um there you go. <laughs> or can it fit? Can it fit? I like that. That's good. <laughs> Counterclockwise. Ooh, that's a good oh! one. I like it's it's funny because they do span the range of like um a, a, a like a quote that could be cross-stitched into a pillow and then <laughs> they also skew to like instructions in an instruction manual. <laughs> I love that. Those are great. Oh, something like um, you can't rely on your senses, you know. Ooh, <laughs> ooh. Um, mine would be um, the the uh, nose, throat, and are all connected. <laughs> it's all it's all one system. It's all one system. Actually, is a good. <gasps> That's a good one. Oh wait, wait, no, no. To your point, how did what's what's the what's what's the one? It's how does this work? <laughs> what was your fear? How does this all stay? Stay working. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, just... Yeah. <laughs> that's very oh, that's good. a good one. Oh god. So <laughs> if you come up with any also just feel free to, to shout them out. Yeah. Just share them in the Discord server. I I I really like counterclockwise for some yeah. reason. I find that super evocative. Um out of tune. I'm just looking around. That's not a great one. <laughs> anyway. Lamp. Um <laughs> microphone plant uh i'm really impressed that y'all those are those are great um one really interesting ludum dare theme was just 10 seconds i thought that was really cool Ooh. nice i thought that i think when i say counterclockwise i was thinking anything time based you can yeah. like yeah. do quite a lot with Mm-hmm. So I'm going to read the description from one of the games that was submitted to that, uh, to 10 seconds. It's called Hungry Night with an exclamation mark. Here's, here's the description. The theme of this jam was 10 seconds. So we present to you Hungry Night, a determined little adventurer with a big appetite. Fight your way through a strange wasteland. Keep yourself fed every 10 seconds and accomplish a miracle. Others may perish at your hand, but such is the remorselessness of this world. Is that, that sounds like little nightmares. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, at, at the time, the game had a user rating of one out of five stars on Newgrounds. <laughs> it's not, not, not well-liked. Um, but the, that team then considered, um, entering another Ludum Dare, which had the theme beneath the surface. Ooh. Uh, but then they, they missed the deadline. <laughs> uh, but they got the idea to basically take the character from the first game, Hungry Night, and explore his world beneath the surface, like exploring that theme. And then they would eventually launch a Kickstarter and raise about 40,000 US dollars for this new project um, that they now called Hollow Knight. Oh, Have you all heard of that game? Yeah, Hollow Knight, which also, to be fair, does, I think that maybe I was thinking of Hollow Knight rather than Little Nightmares, but they're very evocative of the same, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hollow Knight, mm-hmm. it's like a scroller, right? Like, it's, <laughs> it's sort of a, I mean, the term people use is like Metroidvania. It's like a, it's a, it's a 2D platformer. That's mm-hmm. what I mean. A platformer, yeah, yeah you're just like, yeah, yeah, just yeah. going along. 
Um, so if if y'all don't know, Hollow Knight is like maybe one of the most like beloved indie games in the last decade. Mm -hmm. Um, as of 2019, it has sold three million copies and has likely gone on to sell more. Um, and I have played Hollow Knight, one of the few things. Oh yeah, yeah. I I wasn't wasn't expecting that. So, um. Some of the most innovative game ideas have come out of game jams, um, and in some ways it like shouldn't be surprising. I think most artists would agree that like sometimes the most paralyzing thing in the whole world is like a blank piece of paper and infinite choice, yeah. mm-hmm. and sometimes the most inspiring thing is like constraints and a deadline. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Here are some other game games that came from game jams. Um, Celeste came from Forty Eight Hour Game Jam. Inscription, uh, Super Hot, Baba is You. <gasps> Yeah, and you know what I was thinking that last what was the very last prompt that you said the very last theme uh what what do we do now what do we do now that I immediately thought of Baba is you but I didn't say it because I was like no one will know what Baba is you is (laughs) Baba is you is so cute and so fun and good it's like it's a puzzle so clever game way you there are rules written on the screen and you yeah are a little bunny called Baba and you could change the rules by pushing the, oh. the words to basically solve a puzzle and it makes you think in such an interesting way it is so clever it's so approachable but it's also like ev- every game designer is like oh I wish I came up with that because it's, it's such a <laughs> smart like puzzle design so the theme for that game it was for the Nordic game jam and the theme was not there oh. and so the the developer was like playing with the concept of not operations right like like yeah yeah logic operators mm-hmm. through words and and it has ah it's so amazing that that y'all have have seen this so basically some of the most innovative and like acclaimed indie, indie games across all genres have have come from ideas from game jams um but having just said all that that isn't the main reason why i love game jams there's two much less flashy reasons uh, and to figure those out, I need to talk briefly about my first game jam, uh, speaking as someone who has yet to make a critically acclaimed game. <laughs> yet. Yeah, one, day. Not, one yeah. day. not yet. You, you're almost, you'll be not there. Yet. So uh, I might cut this out. I don't know. I'll just say, but uh, I, I've loved games since I was a kid. Uh, I think there's a million reasons to love video games. But like the, the one thing I always go back to is that um, as a kid, and like a, a like second generation American, I would often be brought to like family friends who had kids where we we like literally didn't speak the same language, and like getting along with people is like hard enough as it is as a kid. But like the moment someone pulled out like Super Smash Bros or Mario Kart, <laughs> like you would have to like physically pull us apart by the end of the night because we didn't <laughs> want to leave. So I I you know love games dearly for that. Um, I took my first programming class my first semester of college. And literally the first winter break from school after that, I was looking up how to make games. Um, And I made the classic, classic new game developer mistake, uh, which is, uh, can you guess what it is? No, not at all. Do too much. Basically, Ah! it is making your first game your dream game. Oh, no. It is uh, every... Oh, yeah. The first game I started working on by myself was a two-player narrative fighting game with customizable combinatorial attacks and huge pixel art maps oh, that was no. then based off of the world of the book that I wrote in high school. Oh, oh it's so much. I this love is, it. You, you've never said a more Tom thing in the world. Oh, no. <laughs> there are... There are like 30 words too many in that descriptor. Uh, yeah, 
absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, you see people all do this all the time where they're like, I want to make a Minecraft MMO Super Smash Bros. game. And, like, listen, like, <laughs> well, so <laughs> I worked on that game for about two years during college. And, like, I was learning a ton. Like, I, I don't regret it. In some ways, it, like, motivated me to learn. But <laughs> when I was a junior in college, um, I was messaging a friend of mine, uh, an upperclassman, who is who's truly one of my inspirations in college her name is kat uh and she was like uh like oh by the way like how's how's that game you said you were working on how's that going <laughs> and i was like oh it's great i finished like three out of the planned 15 levels still working out the plot uh i want there to probably be like four more move sets there's there's no tutorial or menu uh, but like once all that's done i'm so excited to show you and she was like tom <laughs> listen <laughs> You've, you've been working on this game for two years. Right now, you're applying to jobs, and you need to have a thing that you can show people. Yeah. So I did my first game jam. After that, I was like, this is a way to like do a thing. Uh, it was an online one, uh, so I just like spent the weekend on my computer. Uh, and I learned the first great thing about game jams, which is that it forces you to actually finish something. <laughs> Like it, it's it's very easy in game development, um, and I think this is true of all art forms. But it's very easy in game development to spend forever just polishing little things. Like you can, this is not an exaggeration. You can easily spend that same forty eight hours just getting like fonts to work perfectly. Yeah, um, which is important. You do need to do that. Fonts are important. But like, but with a game jam, at the end of forty eight hours, you get a game that is done, which yeah. is nuts, oh, right? We should. Let's do a let's do a, a thesis jam, so I can <gasps> so I can finish my fucking PhD thesis. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> we no, well, let's because the, so the spending the spending hours on fonts thing sounds very familiar. It's and, so relatable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad this is, this is a thing that we all feel. <laughs> So the, the the reason that like finishing something is is important aside from getting it done is that like with any art form like there are so many specific challenges you need to learn in finishing the last 10% of a game that you never even see you never learn in the first 90% even if you spend years on it right like mm. things like actually sharing and distributing the game files so people can play it <laughs> uh menus options seeing how people actually play the game, like playtesting and practicing and getting feedback. What I was doing was basically like spending two years filming a movie and never editing it. <laughs> and that's not, that's not viable. Um, so came up with ideas, drafted stuff, made quick art, made quick music, put everything together, learned how to be okay with dropping <laughs> ideas that were taking too long. Um, and when I finished my first little 48-hour game, I learned the other great thing about game jams that I had been missing all those years, uh, which is the community. Aww. I was doing, Ooh. in that moment, aw, the little sign that says aw flashes on everyone's screen on, on the Zoom. <laughs> We're being held hostage and forced to say aw. <laughs> uh, even though I... I that first game jam, I was literally doing the most antisocial game jam physically possible. Like, I was working as a solo team on a completely online game jam. I was not seeing anyone's faces. But even then, at the end of it, just getting to see everyone's games and, like, how they interpret the theme, yeah. how they came up with yeah. ideas was um, amazing. And <laughs> all of these people had just gone through the same silly thing I did the uh -huh. last 48 hours. And now I suddenly had people who I could, like, 
commiserate with <laughs> and critique and like appreciate. Um, and also, if you're not socially anxious or you want to challenge yourself, most game jams encourage folks to like make new teams just like the week before, or even like show up on the day and be like, if you know, if it's encouraged, show up on the day and be like, hey, I'm a sound designer. Does anyone want to make a game with me? And like, I know so many folks who have gone on to meet teammates and collaborators um, and also just like friends that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there are um, even some game jams that you can only join if it's your first time making a game. <gasps> oh, that's wow. good. That's very good. That, that would, yeah, must remove a lot of the like, a lot of the anxiety and, uh, around it, yeah. That that's the other great thing about it is that like most folks are relative even even if it's not that, like with game jam, most folks are a little kind because they realize this was a game that was made in like 48 hours. Yeah. So people will be pretty pretty like kind about their their how they play it and how they judge yeah. it, which is nice. So the like the the <laughs> The DNA of game jams is is so about trying like new wild things that it it becomes a great space for new people. A fact that I find so 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 funny is that um, Notch, the original developer behind Minecraft, uh, would occasionally enter some ludum dares when he was already extremely famous. Um, and one time he placed 158th <gasps> because wow. it's not about that. It's not uh -huh. about that. It's not about who you are. And like, meanwhile, in the game jam that I was doing, my very first game jam, this was the first time in my life people were playing a game I made mm -hmm. ever. And like, I had forced friends to like test things, <laughs> but like, this is the first time I made a thing, sent it out into the universe, and then people were playing it. I will, I will never, never, never forget. So that first game I made for the, for the game jam as a junior in college, who literally did not have a website or a Twitter or an Instagram or even a LinkedIn page. Um, and a game that I made that, by the way, lost the competition. This French game writer named Pierre Eck, who reviews short experimental games, wrote a three-paragraph review in French of this thing I had made in 48 hours fueled by, like, energy drinks and avoiding homework. <laughs> in poughkeepsie new york this is like a, a really butchered google translation but they say mechanical feelings is a projection of the indie arty game of the 2016s by the man of the future the concept may seem difficult to grasp but mechanical feelings which is the name of the game makes it crystal clear how indeed to understand the use of a keyboard when the orthographic reforms will have erased all its characters one by one i so at first i was like oh my god you played the game and then i was like I, I think you played the game better than I did. <laughs> like, I think you, but like, yes, I was like, oh my God, someone played, played the game. Like they played it. Um, and I, I printed that out and like had that hung oh. up on the wall for the rest of college. So. Did you have it in the garbled English or did you have it up in French? Oh, in French, which is, it yeah, makes that's it, very, makes yeah, it much, seem much, much cooler. That's so much better. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so to wrap it up, uh, one of the last jams I did was the Global Game Jam in 2019 at the, the NYU Game Center. I was, again, antisocial. I think I was, like, new to the neighborhood. And uh, well, that's just an excuse. I'm also I was pretty antisocial. Uh, but it was, it was my first in-person game jam. So even though I, I was working alone, at the end of the jam, everyone set up their computers and, like, went around and just played each other's games, which I had, I had never experienced that part before. And to, like, to program a joke or a puzzle like in like a midnight fervor and then to get to see someone 
have that aha moment that you designed or discover something new in the game or just like laugh at a joke that you wrote in like a delirious stupor mm. the night before is like there, there's like nothing like it like it feels like alchemy like 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 i tried to put an experience into a bunch of code <laughs> and then you ran the code and had the experience like it's it's magic and, and i think to, it, what you're describing feels to me like when i did my stand-up set <laughs> in, yeah, in a yeah, way yeah, yeah. you know you put something out there that you like created yourself and then you got the reaction that like <laughs> you were expecting totally and 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 i mean the thing that's amazing about stand-up is you have that feedback but i think what's tough about certain things like certain arts like game development is that you spend a lot of time alone and so it's easy to forget about that you know mm. and so like for anyone who's like jaded or feeling stuck like it is such a fucking like kick in the butt and like a jolt in the brain and the heart like like nothing else so for me uh game jams are so wonderful because they're 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 a way to remember why people make games in the first place whether it's like to come up with a new clever idea to to meet people to make a team to make something like visually stunning to make someone laugh to to try to say something that needs to be said uh or to make a, a game that helps turn strangers into friends that you have to physically pull apart by the end of the night <laughs> <laughs> wonderful Aww. and you know what this if for people who don't believe that uh, game design and video games are a form of art you only have to listen to this section to yeah uh, hopefully change your mind because <laughs> mm-hmm. it very much the way you describe it very much feels like approaching any other form of art mm, mm. which is very nice thanks y'all all right now we're gonna spend an hour making you play my video games hey. <laughs> <laughs> tom do you have a review for us I do, actually. In Review Corner. This is a review on Apple Podcasts uh, from Sufjan, and they say, A brilliant and human approach to explaining science. Science is not just about explaining how things work. It's really about asking interesting questions and finding the building blocks that you need to answer them. This podcast is a celebration of science in its purest form. And the structure of the podcast works perfectly for my brain. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. When I'm ready to move on to something else, they start talking about a brand new fascinating topic. It's incredibly (laughs) engaging for me. Can't wait to listen to more. Amazing. Thank you, Safian. Do you have any plugs or shout outs? I'll plug myself. I'm Caroline the Bug everywhere. Uh, That's TikTok, Twitter and Instagram. So come check me out there. I will plug myself. I'm Big Science Energy on tiktok and i've just hit 100k so as promised i will be doing an asmr (gasps) science lab live stream at some point i need to figure out a date for it but it will it will happen definitely let the discord know Mm -hmm. also i have a plug a a very last minute plug here but there's actually an, an online game based on my research um, oh yeah! Oh, I forgot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and if you go to my Twitter at Ella Hubber, you can probably find it there. If you wanted to play it, it's based on the physical version of the game that I did. It's very, it's a, it's kind of lame, but it's very, you know, cute. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's me. I'm Tom Lum person everywhere, and I just want to. This is a, a strange plug. Um, <laughs> a, a, a TikTok friend of mine uh, named Lar, Classic Lar on TikTok at classic l-a-u-r um is releasing this this uh, amazing multimedia concept breakup 
poetry collection that is getting turned into an album. Uh, and I got to make and perform a little, a little song <gasps> wow. for, for, from the lyrics of one of the poems. Um, and I think uh, uh, she is just such a truly creative multimedia person. I think right now she's, depending on when this comes out, she's doing a like Easter egg hunt to find out the release of the, the album date. <gasps> That's so cool. I also got to do the, the instrumental to a backing track to Anna Marie Tendler reading a poem for that. It's really, it's a really wonderful little collaborative thing. Um, and if you go to birthdaycardalbum.com, uh, you should be able to find it. It might be out, it might be close to being out. Um, but yeah. That's it. <gasps> nice. Oh, wonderful. Otherwise, I'm Tom Lumpers and everywhere else. Thanks, guys. This was a great episode. It was! <laughs> oh, that was really cute. <laughs> um, so today, we learned about how a fake disease in World of Warcraft can simulate diseases in real life. We learned that sneezes can have all kinds of funky smells. So many. <laughs> so many. <laughs> and we learned about the just sheer amount of creativity and community within game jams and next time join us where we will learn about everything everything <laughs> <laughs> let's learn everything is independently produced and hosted by ella hubber tom lum and caroline roper editing and music by the wonderful and talented tom lum Ten episodes! Ten episodes! Oh my god! We didn't even mention it once. That's fine. Ten episodes. <laughs> as the music's like fading in, like like as as your thing is like saying, this podcast was in, it's like, oh, ten episodes! Oh god! Ten episodes. Oh my god, we just did ten episodes. Oh, oh hold on. <laughs>